Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-5 to in the first part of a sermon series called Character Under Construction, with this message from May 19th, titled The Foundation for Spiritual Formation. Well, many of us were looking forward to the arrival of the spring season. We're looking forward to warmer temperatures, spending more time outdoors, planting our fields and gardens, and assisting or anticipating the landscape bursting forth with new life and with new color. However, the beginning of the spring season also marks the beginning of the construction season. Cities and provinces have announced and begun their street and road construction projects. So it is inevitable that when we travel, we will have to drive through construction zones. Perhaps as you were make some of you, as you were making your way to Swan River for the weekend, perhaps you went through a construction zone. When we traveled to Saskatoon to see for the first time our newborn grandson, and yes, I had to get that in. Uh, <laughs> We encountered road instruction on highway number five by Wadena. A portion of the highway had been marked as a construction zone as workers on large heavy equipment repaired that segment of the highway. This past Tuesday, I traveled to Grace Baptist Church, Oak River to attend a Manitoba Baptist Association pastors gathering. And just south of Dauphin on highway 10, I again encountered a construction zone as workers were making repairs to a portion of that highway. Construction zones are not places of peace and contentment. Rather, they are chaotic and, if one is not careful, can be dangerous. Drivers are required to reduce their highway speed. Sometimes you are required to make a lane change or detour around the construction site. There are times that you have to stop and wait for one lane of traffic to clear before you can proceed through the zone. An occasion you are required to follow a pilot vehicle through the construction site. Construction zones have lots of bumps, starts and stops, and backed up delays. They are dirty and noisy and hectic places, chaotic. Heavy equipment is everywhere with each worker undertaking their assigned responsibilities and duties. Construction zones can best be described as I think as organized confusion. However, if you were to talk to the architect and engineer of the project, they would say that although the construction zone is hectic and chaotic, it is also necessary because they can envision what the end product is going to be. They know that which is happening in the construction zone is a process toward a desired end, a well-paved road, sturdier bridge, wider shoulders, or much needed passing lanes. Therefore, they work to bring that vision to reality. For you and me, as followers of Jesus, I think we need a sign hanging around our neck, which reads construction zone. Because we too are a work in process. Yes, we are better than what we once were, but we are not yet what we ought to be. Or as Max Lucado says, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. 
The apostle Paul knew that we as Christians are a work in progress. He said in Philippians chapter one, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is that although we are at different stages in our spiritual growth and walk, we're all in the process of becoming what Jesus wants us to become. We are all under construction. Everyone is in the process of spiritual formation and the construction of our lives is a lifelong process. You no doubt have heard the saying, be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Well, Ruth Bell Graham took that seriously, wife of Billy Graham. She had inscribed on her tombstone the words, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. Regarding the process of our spiritual formation, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, expressed it in this way. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thinking either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with his fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Lewis's words remind us that a person's spiritual state does not maintain equilibrium, but instead is continuously defined and refined by the choices a person makes this morning. I'm beginning a sermon series, which I've titled character under construction based upon second Peter chapter one verses one to 11. And so I invite you to turn to that passage as I read it at this time, Simon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Over the next several Sundays, we're going to study individually the seven qualities that Peter identifies in verses five to seven. But before we do so, we need to understand the context. Peter begins by giving us a necessary foundation for spiritual formation, the necessary foundation for our character development in order for us to grow in virtue, in knowledge, in self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. There are two main truths that we must understand and that we must embrace. And I would first of all, have you notice that in the first four verses, Peter says that God gave us all the help we need to live the Christian life to his glory. For example, in verse two, he says, God gave us grace and peace. God gave to us what we did not deserve, what we did not uh, earn or, or was capable of receiving ourselves. And he gave to us peace. He has made it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are made right with God. We have peace with God. In verse three, we read that God gave us of his divine power to live a new life and for godliness. And so in other words, now we have power at work in our lives because of Jesus Christ, our relationship with Christ. Then in verse four, Peter says, God gave us his divine nature, that we might escape the corruption of the world through lust. In other words, the apostle Peter assures us that everything we will ever need to live the victorious life God has redeemed us to live and to do all the things in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has called us to do is now ours through our relationship with Jesus by faith. Through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are now made sufficient and have complete provision for all God wants us to be. So in other words, you and I have no excuse, absolutely no excuse whatsoever for not being able to grow and mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. We have no excuse for our character to not be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Our goal, according to Peter, is life and godliness. The source of strength to become godly is divine power. And the activating connection between the goal of godliness and the source of divine power is knowing and trusting the promises of God. You and I have all that we need in order to live a life that is pleasing to the glory and honor of God. This morning, that opening video talked about God's glory and how you and I are to declare his glory as well. We do so as our lives are conformed and transformed uh, by his power. God has given us everything we need for that to happen. But the second truth we must understand and embrace is this. Because God's divine power has given us all things that lead to godliness, we must make every effort to be godly. Again, listen to what Peter says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he goes on to give those qualities with virtue, with virtue uh, and virtue, with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. 
I want you to take note of the first line of verse five. Three uh, phrases that are really key, that are really significant as Paul begins, as, as, as Paul continues to outline those character traits. The very first phrase is for this reason. Paul is saying that what I'm going to say to you now is based upon what I have said to you in the past. And what has he said to us? He has said everything that you need to grow in your walk with God has been given to you to your new relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We can't miss the connection here. Peter is saying, since God has given power for godliness, strive to become godly. This is the heart of the new Testament ethics. We strive to become godly because God has already given us everything we need for godliness. And he is at work within us. Now, some might take this to mean that our motivation to become godly is to be accepted by God. That as we grow in godliness, God will love us much more than he does now. Many years ago, I spoke to an alcoholic who believed this very thing. As I was visiting with him at his kitchen table with a bottle of liquor between us, he, he spoke about his addiction to alcohol. And I assured him that God could set him free if he would but turn to Christ for salvation and for strength and to overcome the addiction. And I vividly recall that he picked up that bottle of liquor and he, he said something to this effect. If I could just get, this, get rid of this bottle, if I could just throw it out of my life, then God would accept me. Then God would love me. Unfortunately, there are many individuals who believe the same thing. But let me tell you, we do not labor to earn God's love. We don't seek to change in order to be accepted by God. Rather, as Paul says, it is God who is at work in me to will and to do his good pleasure. We strive for, the, for godliness because Jesus Christ has made us his own. Compare it to a marriage relationship. There is a world of difference in a marriage where the husband doubts the love of his wife and labors to earn it. And a marriage where the husband rests in the certainty of his wife's love and joyfully goes to great pains to ensure to live, not to live unworthily of it. And so Peter's point is this. God is for us with divine power of that. We may be sure now in the confidence of that power, take pains not to live unworthily of his love. The second phrase that we need to highlight is make every effort. Peter is telling us to give all diligence to the development of our Christian character. He says, make haste, do it quickly, do it with zeal. Keep moving forward. Don't stop. There is a moral imperative or mission that requires you and me to drop everything in order to give attention to our character. We are to make an all out effort. Like a world-class athlete, we give it every ounce of personal effort as we approach our goal or prize. An athlete has a single-minded focus. And that is what Paul, Peter is telling us in this phrase when he says, make every effort. Make it your single-minded focus. This is what you are to give your time and attention to. This, this whole aspect of developing your character, being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third phrase is that we are to supplement our faith. And again, let me use the example of the athlete. 
The athlete who prepares for a race by hours of training and hard work. He adds to his training the the right kinds of food, the right kind of diet. Uh, Sometimes they will do that to stay within a specified class. Or long distance runners are usually leaner with longer muscles, whereas sprinters are usually bigger with larger hamstrings. And not only does he spend time monitoring his diet, but he adds to that. He adds training. He trains every day for a certain number of hours. And not only during, um, but, but he also perhaps adds other things to his walk as well or to his preparations. He will stretch and he'll lift weights. He adds to that a system of exercises in order to increase his distance or his speed. All these work in conjunction to help him work or to win. If he fails to add one of these elements, he may not be prepared to run the race. In fact, he may be at a severe disadvantage. And these things take time to build up. Stamina takes time to build up, but once an athlete has these things under his belt, running races will be increasingly easier. And so he progresses, applying himself as he goes along. Each step of the way, with challenges, no doubt, but he has his training to back him up. It's tough to become a good athlete. It takes great effort. And in the same way, it's with us. To, be, to develop our character takes effort. And that's why Peter says, supplement your faith, which means in addition, just as an athlete, in addition to training, watches his weight, watches his diet and all those other things, you and I are to supplement our faith with the characteristics that Paul adds, or Peter, excuse me, Peter adds in, in the passage. In the ancient world of plays and entertainment, Wealthy individuals would finance lavish public spectacles. They would put their money behind the project. And in so doing, they would try to outdo one another in their extravagant productions. Therefore, when Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith, he is telling us that personal spiritual growth requires great effort and great cost. And further, he is telling us that there is no labor and no price too great in pursuing the God-honoring life. Kenneth Wiest wisely states, the divine nature is not an automatic self-propelling machine that will turn out a Christian life for the believer irrespective of what that believer does or the attitude he takes to the salvation which God has provided. The divine nature will always produce a change in the life of the sinner who receives the Lord Jesus as savior, but it works at its best efficiency when the believer cooperates with it, not only determining to live a life pleasing to God, but definitely stepping out in faith and living that life in dependence upon the new life, which God has implanted in him. We would have to confess that sometimes the God honoring life seems a bit overwhelming. We can begin to understand God's demands and expectations and feel our sense of failure and frustration and not living up to those. But you and I need to realize that our salvation is supernatural. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer and provides a necessary power and strength to grow spiritually. God saved us and he has promised us victory over sin. 
It is God who has called us to spiritual maturity. It is God who will help us cultivate the God honoring virtues of a Christ honoring life. And it is the Lord God himself who gives us strength as we purpose in our hearts to grow in Christian grace. Perhaps you have heard someone say, you know, I tried the Christian life, but it just didn't work for me. I tried reading my Bible. I tried praying. I attended church for a while, but it just didn't work for me. By making such a statement, they are suggesting that there is something inherently wrong with the claims of the Christian faith. They're suggesting that the Christian faith works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. But perhaps it wasn't the Christian faith that didn't work for them, but rather they didn't work in the faith as they were supposed to. They didn't put in the time and the cost to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And and any effort that they did, such as Bible reading or prayer, it was all in self-effort, not in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You see, there are those who reason that because we are saved by the simple act of believing on the sacrifice of Jesus and trusting in the work that he did for us, that progress in the Christian life and the Christian faith comes in the same way. They may believe rightly that we are saved and begin the Christian life by a passive reception of Christ's work on our behalf. But they go on to think wrongly that there's nothing more that they must do. And that we are to expect the victorious Christian life to come upon us passively. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's true that we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus by faith alone. And by that saving relationship, we are given all that we will ever need for life and godliness. But it's also a fact that we are then commanded to rise up and make faithful use of that provision in an active and personally involved way. In other words, our maturity in Christ depends to a large extent on our own diligence to build on the foundation of faith. Knowing that God has provided us through Christ with everything we'll ever need for life and godliness. We now do our part. We put that provision to work faithfully and we get about the task of growing victoriously in Christ. In his sermon, confirm your election. John Piper shared a true story about Glenda and Robert Lennon, who were four miles off the coast of Florida fishing alone from their yacht. Glenda decided to take a swim and soon found the current had carried her too far away from the boat. Her husband, hearing her cries without thinking, dove in and swam to her, but then realized that they were both being carried out. He was a champion swimmer. She was not. So they made a plan. He would swim against the tide to keep the boat in view until the tide ceased and he could reach the boat. She should save her strength and just float with the tide and he would come and get her. He fought the tide for six hours. And just as the boat was about to disappear in the horizon, the tide turned and his strokes carried him to the boat, but he was exhausted. The sun had set. His searching was futile. He could not find his wife. The next day, one last effort was made. The search party found his wife. 20 miles out, but still alive. It was an incredible story. But John Piper went on to say, 
What it illustrates is this Christians who just float, never stay in the same place. Christians who disobey verses five to seven and do not apply themselves with diligence to bear the fruit of faith drift into great peril. We must strive even to stand still. The tide of temptation is too, is so strong. The effort toward virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly affection, and love is not indispensable icing on the cake of faith. If Robert had not swum with all his might, the yacht would have gone out of sight and he and his wife would have drowned. I've said before, and we'll say again, we do not judge a person's genuineness by how close he is to heaven, but by how hard he is stroking. The evidence that God's power has been given to you by faith is that you are now making every effort, as verse 5 says, to advance in the qualities of Christ. It is possible to make a start in the Christian life, but then to become indifferent and unfeeling and careless in using the means of grace and then to drift into destruction. If the knowledge of God's glorious promises do not spur us on to strive against the tide, then we'll be barren. We'll be fruitless. We will drift into destruction. As I conclude this morning, I have one question that I want to ask you. It's a simple question, but I think it's also a very penetrating question. It is simply this. Are you putting in great effort and paying a great cost to grow in Christian character. I'm not talking about a little effort or a little cost. I'm talking about a great effort and a great cost. If you said, yes, I'm putting in a great effort. I'm paying a great cost. What are you doing? What would you say you are doing in order to grow in your Christian character? If you hear that question, your answer is, I'm not putting in great effort. I'm not putting in great cost. What is it that you can do so that you would grow and mature in your relationship with Christ? You see, we need to understand that our lives are a construction zone. We are a work in progress. Yes, God loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to keep us that way. He wants us to become like Jesus. God has given to us everything we need to grow in our Christian faith. It's at our disposal through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But to grow, to mature, to change, to experience progress in our life requires effort. It requires work on our part. It doesn't happen passively. And that's Peter's instructions to us. And so in the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at each of those seven qualities, a virtue and knowledge and the others. And we're going to examine what it means and how they can be practiced within our own experience. I'm going to ask you to bow as I pray at this time. Loving God and Father, we thank you for your inspired word. And we thank you for inspiring Peter through your Holy Spirit, inspiring him to write what he wrote. 
to help us understand how we are to live the Christian life, to help us to re- to help us understand and to rejoice in all that you have provided for us, but also to understand that we must cooperate with you. We must do our part. We cannot be passive. We cannot sit back. We cannot drift. Because by drifting, we're just taken further away from you. And so I pray that we would swim against the tide. I pray that we would put in that exertion, not as a means to be accepted by you, but as a means to please you, to honor you, to glorify you, and to experience the fullness of life, the abundance of life that you came to give us, to experience fruitfulness for your glory. And so I pray that we would reflect upon these words throughout this day, throughout this week, and make those decisions that would propel us in the right direction and toward you for your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.